my beheaded. He's risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. And John had said unto Herod, It's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have killed him, but she couldn't. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and holy, and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So we want to look at this man, John the Baptist, and how he died. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, what a privilege it is to be able to look into the scriptures. We are always happy whenever we can gather knowing that your word is truth. Your word is life. We want you to speak clearly to all of us. And it's our prayer, Lord, that uh, through this message, you'd give us something uh, to, to live by, to stand on, and to trust in. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Of course, John the Baptist's life is one that is uh, quite interesting. Uh, his parents were elderly when he was conceived. Angel was involved with that. And when he was born, the scripture says he spent a large amount of time out in the wilderness. Now, John the Baptist, of course, was the uh, son of a priest, and naturally you would expect the son of a priest to go into the same ministry that dad was involved in. But that's not what happened. Mark chapter 6. And so with John the Baptist, he, he knew he had a calling, and the Bible says he was kept in the wilderness until the day of his showing. That means that there was a, a period of time where God wanted to make him known to people. And when he did come on the scene, he started preaching a message of repentance. And of course, when his cousin, Christ, came along, he baptized Jesus. He saw the Spirit of God descend upon Jesus. And it was right at this point, John the Baptist was saying, he has to increase, I have to decrease. So he was the kind of man that didn't mind removing himself from the scene so long as Jesus was lifted up. Well, because of his message, he was angering people in powerful places. And this is where we pick it up in Mark 16, looking there at uh, verse 14 and the following verses. Mark is taking the time to recount for us what happened to John the Baptist and explaining how he died there in uh, verse 16. Herod said, this is the one that I beheaded. That's a terrible way to die. But in ancient times, people were brutal, people were cruel, and people died the kinds of deaths that we ourselves would not be interested in, in uh, being involved with. But, but let's, let's begin here with this whole issue in verse 17. Who in the world was this man Herod? Well, Herod the Great was the king when Jesus was born. He was a very powerful man. I don't want to walk you through all of the twisted history of his family with all the murders of the siblings and mothers and fathers and so on and so forth. But when Herod died, let's just say there came an end to a terribly brutal reign. Here was a man that murdered all the two-year-olds and under 
because he was trying to kill Christ. But when he died, his kingdom was split up between his sons. Now, he had eight sons, three of whom were named Herod after him. And it was the second name that people typically knew that particular Herod by Herod, Philip, Herod, Antipas, and so on and so forth. So this Herod that we have here, he originally was married to the daughter of the king of Arabia. And Herodias, she herself was married to Herod Philip. But somehow through the gatherings of these royal figures, Herod and Herodias became attracted to one another. So, of course, if you fall in love with your brother's wife, then your brother naturally probably has to disappear in order for you to be able to have him. And so what happened? Well, Herod Philip disappeared. And what did Herod do with the wife that he was married to, who was the daughter of the king of Arabia? He just abandoned her, deserted her, and then just came together with this lady here by the name of Herodias. And it is because of John the Baptist and that message that you can see Herodias was very angry and upset because it says in verse 17, he married her. So you know as well as I do, if we're going according to Old Testament law, this is why John is saying in verse 18, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife because it's adultery. And, and he didn't want to hear that. She certainly didn't want to hear that. But this teaches us, if it teaches us anything, that people can get together in ways that are not godly. Sometimes the origins of a relationship are not godly. I've, I've certainly met plenty of people that when you ask them, tell me how you two met. You can tell inside of about 30 seconds when they don't want you to know that there's probably a whole lot of sin and, and, and things like that. So even though I'm certain that God hadn't always put certain people together, if people would surrender their heart and life to the Lord Jesus Christ and come into covenant with him and walk in relationship with him, then it's still possible that God can keep people together. See, keep people together because we're all flawed people, imperfect people, and sometimes we make Decisions that are rash, impulsive, not necessarily based upon the word of God. And fortunately for us, God's grace and his mercies are new every morning. You know, Tiffany and I were talking about uh, as, as we were driving, we were asking ourselves the question. I wonder how many people, if you were to ask them, if they knew then what they know now, would they have married the person they married? Oh, my and I told Tiffany, I said, I guarantee we'd get different answers if, if we asked them while they were sitting together <laughs> and if we asked them while they were apart. Yeah, it's, it's, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's really something to consider this. So this kind of relationship, because it began badly, it's naturally going to continue badly. But God had a man of God by the name of John who was not afraid of royalty and authority, and he said, this is illegal. It's not in accordance with God's law. Herod was a descendant of Edom, so he was an Edomite. And for this to happen in the manner that it did, you can see that Mr. John the Baptist, his message is still pretty much the same. Repent 
The kingdom of God is at hand, but yet now he's modified it a bit where he's preaching directly to royal figures. Now, he has to have fame and a lot of popularity for him to even gain access to the king. Unless he was preaching this out in the streets and then somebody brought word to the king. But if you, if you were married to someone that you probably shouldn't be with, and then you looked up and every day out in the marketplace, there's a man out there dressed in camel's hair, and he's got bees, wax, and honey all around his lips, and he's running around saying, I'm telling you that king is a scoundrel. And there's no reason for him to be married to this woman. He has dismissed his brother. He has abandoned and deserted his wife. Why in the world is he our king? Somebody was preaching like that. You probably wouldn't be too happy either. So imagine Herodias looking out the palace window every day and seeing all this stuff, you know, being being turned up and stirred up by by this particular man. So in verse in verse 19 there, it said Herodias had a quarrel against him. So someone can say something and it can produce in you hostility and enmity. And you can stew on it and get angrier and angrier and you can become bondage, held bondage by the grudge that you have against somebody else to the point that it controls your entire life. We've all probably met people like that. Absolutely bitter and they are unforgiving. And this woman was so mad. Notice what it says as the queen. She would have killed him, but couldn't. So in her heart, he was as good as dead. She wanted him dead. But she either couldn't find the opportunity or she was worried about the fact that her husband uh, didn't want it to, to come to pass at this time. So this this to me just just shows me. That you can be a man or woman of God, you can do what God has called you to do, and never even know that there are people behind closed doors that are ready to undermine your authority and ready to see you disappear. I don't even know John the Baptist had any idea that this woman behind the scenes hated him so much. But even if he did know, I don't think it would have changed his message. And we can learn from that. Don't allow people's anger towards you to change what you believe about God. It is not easy to go against the stream. It's not. But the salmon does it every year. Some survive and some don't. But those salmon try to make it back to the place where they spawned. And, and, and they want to get there. Sometimes they get there with bloody fins. Sometimes they get there with parts of of the scaling that's been ripped off and frayed, but they're doing everything they can to get back up that river, and they want to get to the place where they were born. So you have to go against the tide sometimes in order for God to be glorified in your life. But verse 20, you can see the differences here now. Verse 19, Herodias had a quarrel, and she was angry, but verse 20, Herod feared John. Think about that. So you have a mass of people who are afraid of Herod, but then you have this one powerful figure who's afraid of this one guy. This one guy. All of these folks are terrified of Herod as they would be of any king or person in authority. And this is they ruled by fear. They imposed their will on people. Do you think people were afraid of Gaddafi when he was in charge? Yeah. 
You think people feared Hitler? I believe they did. I think people feared Idi Amin. I think people feared uh, Mussolini and a host of others that still are even in power today. And, and as I'm thinking about this, my, my mind recalls the story when I lived in uh, Jordan and Saddam Hussein was in power. And people certainly feared that man. When I lived in Jordan, Saddam Hussein's daughter and son-in-law defected. And so they fled Iraq in the middle of the night, left Baghdad, came to Amman, Jordan, where I was at. And Amman, Jordan, even though it's several hundred thousands of people, it's tribal. So word spreads fast. Before it ever hit the newspaper, within four or five days, everybody in town knew that Saddam's daughter had defected. And so we were kind of waiting to see how all of this was going to work out, because we assume Saddam was going to go to war with Jordan, and but that's not what happened. Well, the, the king of Jordan, King Hussein, he contacted the American embassy. They got together with Saddam's daughter, milked her for all the knowledge they could get from her. And then King Hussein told her, well, we're not going to let you stay. It's terrible how they did him. said, we're not going to let you stay. And so Saddam, he said, oh, please send my daughter home and send my son-in-law home. Nothing. I promise you I won't lay a finger on them. Nothing will happen to them at all. Well, they decided to go back home thinking that they could trust dad's word. And when they got to the border, the guard separated the daughter from the son-in-law, took the daughter back to the palace where she ended up in holding until eventually Saddam was killed in the war we had back there, or I should say imprisoned in the war we had back there in 2003. But they took the man, put him in a house, and surrounded the house, filled his house with weapons and bullets, and then the army came out there, surrounded the house, and just destroyed the house with tanks and everything else and just killed him. I remember my roommate, who was in the Iraqi side of the Gulf War at the same time I was on the American side, and we became roommates in Jordan, he was telling me about how if you surrendered to the Americans out there in the desert and were marching with your hands up, said Saddam surgically had them remove your nose and your ears. So to this day, everybody knows in Iraq who it was that gave up. And he was telling us stories about how Saddam would take some of the upper echelon generals and if they didn't obey, he would pour hot oil over their bodies and set them on fire. Not to mention the people that were tossed in the pits and the lions devoured them. So there was story after story I was hearing when I lived in the Middle East. So you can understand why there was so much fear regarding this man. So imagine how they were with Herod. Herod's family was cruel. You know, We're talking strangulations of sisters, the, the murder of your own children, because you want to maintain power. But you know as well as I do, if you live a life where you're taking the lives of others, it's hard to sleep at night because you don't ever know who you can trust. Look again here at verse 20. But Herod feared John. Why did he fear him? Because he was different than him. This man was holy. There was something about John that caused the people to love him. And the people loved him and respected him with the kind of adoration that Herod could never get. It's true. This man was holy. And so 
it said he observed him and he was glad to hear him. So I guess there was something in the message of John the Baptist that did please him. Something that he said. I don't know what all John could have said, but certainly something that that made him happy. Well, there was nothing that John said that made Herodias happy. Have you ever you ever met somebody or known somebody through the years that just the sight of them makes you angry? Never met anybody like that. Oh, my. I've known some pastors that felt that way about the sheep. And I've known some sheep that felt that way about their pastors. You know, there's there's sometimes if you've had some pretty bad relationships with individuals, just seeing them out in public will anger you. You know, some teachers. Probably feel that way about some students. Blood pressure goes up as soon as the kid comes through the door, you know, and they're hoping maybe they got pneumonia today or something, you know, not, not, not feeling good. Okay, so Mark chapter 6, notice here from verse 21. So this, this man, John, of course, is now in jail, and in verse 21, it says, When a convenient day was come, Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords and high captains. So these high captains are people who are over 1,000 people, each of them, and the other leading men and statesmen of Galilee. So birthdays were celebrated at this time by Herod, of course. The Jewish people, the rabbis, did not celebrate birthdays that much. They really don't do too much of that today. They think it's an an idolatrous thing and that you're supporting and promoting a person rather than promoting and supporting God. But certainly the the ancient Greeks did do that. But this this was one kind of a birthday party, I'm telling you. When these folks threw parties, they, they knew how to do it. And so when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and them that sat with him. So this of course, would have been his stepdaughter, but since she was also the daughter of his brother, she would have also been his niece. But now, she's the one that's up here doing all of this dancing. See, Oh, my goodness, what a dance she put on here. And it says, The king said to the damsel, Ask of me whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it to you. That was one more kind of a dance, folks, I'm telling you. Yeah. I've, I've tried to dance like this for Tiffany, and it hasn't worked. It has not worked. I mean, just, I've been waiting for her to say to me, honey, you can have whatever you want. It just, it just, it hadn't, hadn't worked at all. Now, I will say this, though. Eastern people to this day still have dancers at different functions, stuff like that. So, of course, here in English, we say, we, we speak of them as belly dancers. Well, that's exactly what they were. That's exactly what they still have. I, I was telling Tiffany about one time in, in Jordan, I went to a nice upscale Arab restaurant with some friends, and it was quite expensive. And 
when we had the meal going on. That's you, all of a sudden you can hear the finger thimbles start and you can hear the bongos and everything going. And then you hear everybody start clapping and all of this noise. Then you look up and on the stage, there's this lady. And I mean, she's getting it going. She's dancing and everything. I don't know how anybody could eat any kind of food after that. And so just everybody just kind of watching her and mesmerized by her. And it's almost like an art form for these folks. They love that kind of a thing. Now, for for us, that is just totally different. But as you can see here, whatever the niece and the stepdaughter was doing, it pleased Herod and those that were with them. Why would any man say to a young lady, Young lady, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And in verse 23, he swear unto her. That means he's saying this repeatedly. Whatsoever you ask, I will give it unto thee unto half of my kingdom. Half of everything I possess, I'm willing to put in your possession. So when you, when you have someone that says something like that, it seems like you'd kind of Weigh it all with a little bit of wisdom because this opportunity may not present itself again. And you would want to get some sound and wise counsel, I would think. Because if you were to say that to me, then I'd think about it. The Bible says if you're going to do anything, at least take time to count the cost of what you're going to be involved with. But notice what she did. It says in verse 24, having heard that, she went forth and went to her mother. What shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. How'd you like wise counsel like that? How'd you like a mom like that? Wow, kill him. That'd be the, 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 the mom of the century there. But we can see that the people that you have in your life are typically the ones that have influence in your life. The people that you trust and care the most about are the ones typically that can affect the decisions that you make. If you have a good mom, you're going to make good decisions. You have a good pops, you're going to make good decisions. But if you have bad parents, then it's likely those kinds of decisions that they make are going to have an influence upon your life. And we see this all throughout scripture over and over again. Mama, what should I do? We have just found out because as I was out there shaking and boogieing out there, you should have saw them eyes of those men as they were looking at me. It was better than Patrick Swayze's dirty dancing. He said, Mama, the movie haven't even been made yet. And I already was acting the part. What should I ask for? Half the kingdom will be mine. And, and she, she got to thinking about that quarrel she had in her heart towards that man. And you can see that bitterness hadn't gone anywhere. Hadn't gone anywhere. You, you can stew on a thing and be angry about a thing. And if you're not careful, when the opportunity presents itself, it'll manifest. Here it happened, right here. The head of John the Baptist. Okay, so... She wants this prophet of God to be beheaded. The young lady went right back in immediately and with haste and said to the king, I know what I want now. I know what I want. And I mean, the king's probably wondering what this is going to be because he, he made all kind of, kind of promises. Now, I don't know if in, if in this party, uh, if this is just a bad decision he's making because 
of peer pressure or if he's making a bad decision because there's a mixture of alcohol and everything else. But I'll tell you this, you get a bunch of people together that don't know God and you have a lot of sensuality and you add a little bit of alcohol, I can promise you things are going to go in a wrong direction fast. Yeah, wrong direction fast. And verse 25 makes it very plain. He said, now, she said, now, <clears throat> I will that you would give me by and by, which is to say right now, in a charger or on a platter, the head of John the Baptist and the king was sorry. See, he, he didn't want this to happen. This is kind of like what happened with Daniel. Remember the, the king signed the decree? And when Daniel ended up in uh, trouble... In the lion's den, then the king passed the night fasting. He was unhappy about the decision he made. But it says in verse 26, because of the oath's sake and for their sakes, which sat with him, he would not reject her. So that is to say, this is a matter of pride now. I don't want to look weak and I don't want to look like I have to back away from something that I've said. Ecclesiastes says it this way, where the word of a king is, there's power. And kings and people in positions of authority do not like to have to step away from a decision that they've made. But look, if, if you make a bad decision, folks, just step back and just say, look, I was wrong. We, uh, we're not going to do this. Because you'll save yourself a whole lot of heartbreak. And you'll save other people a whole lot of trouble just by allowing a little repentance to get into your life. So he, he didn't want to reject this niece of his. Now, you would think he would have known immediately this isn't her speaking, but mama's speaking through her lips. Yeah. I, I, think, I think parents know sometimes when it's their child that's asking can they do something or whether or not they're asking because a friend has put it in their ears. Yeah. Because the, the, the little kid comes along and says, can I go spend the night at so-and-so's house? Then mom and dad said, why do you want to spend the night at so-and-so's house? Well, because they got this brand new game and we want to go over there and have the time of our life. Or even better, they've got a brand new lizard. (laughs) And we want to go and see this thing. And so the the parents then... (laughs) The parents are wondering what this is, is all about, you know. But they can, they can tell. You folks know. You can tell when it's something that's coming directly from your kids or whether it's coming from a friend because someone may have hit you up already before and you declined and said no. And I'm sure since this lady wanted John the Baptist dead, if he was in any kind of a right mind and wasn't inebriated, he knew immediately this is Herodias. This is Herodias. But verse 27 said, immediately the king sent the executioner. That was one of his guardsmen. And he commanded his head to be brought, and the man went and beheaded him in the prison. Now, what Mark doesn't tell us is that during John's incarceration, that John obviously had some moments where he's having to fight the devil And resist the adversary because you remember John was hearing good things about what Jesus was doing. And then he sent somebody to the Lord and said, are you the one to come or do we look for another? So within the confines of the prison, 
we know John believed in the coming of a Messiah. Let's not forget, before he was apprehended, his testimony of the Lord was, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So even the best of men battle and have to wrestle with doubt and unbelief sometimes. But I believe John the Baptist overcame all the things that he had to fight. And Jesus sent word back to uh, him He said, just let him know that lepers are being cleansed, dead folks are getting up out of the grave, and miracles are occurring all over the place. And I think John the Baptist was right back where he needs to be settled in his faith. So all of us may uh, possibly go through uh, something like that. I I praise the Lord if you haven't gone through something like that. I've heard a whole lot of preachers talk about having crises of faith and not really sure whether there was a God or is a God. I have never had anything like that from the time I came to know the Lord. I love the Lord. But I do know that circumstances can impose themselves in your life in such a way that you start asking questions. You know, I take a, a lady like Marie Whitworth Etter many years ago, back in the 1800s. I think she was born in 1844 and lived until 1924. But but this lady, she... uh was born out in Ohio, and I don't know, she maybe had nine or ten kids or something like that. I don't think but one of her children made it to adulthood, and she buried that one before she died, see? But when infant after infant was being lost, she was surrounded by people who wanted to blame God and all of these other kinds of things. So it's a, it's a struggle for some people to face Uh, certain circumstances. But the one thing I do know about this book, if it teaches us anything, trust God no matter what. Even if you feel like you are Job and you're locked in a house with someone like Job's wife, you don't have to give in to Job's wife. You can stand on the word and trust God. Yeah, I mean, Job is believing the king and his wife is running around and she's singing that song, Job, why don't you curse God and die? (laughs) Just fly through the sky. You know, she she was she was pleased to lose him. But her life, her faith was in her possessions. You take the possessions away. And then she lost her faith in God. And, And I'm glad here that God gives us enough ammunition in Scripture to show us how to resist the devil, how to fight against unbelief. And how to maintain our joy, which, which is our strength. So notice then in verse, verse 28. He brought the head on the platter, gave it to the damsel, and the damsel gave it to her mother. Oh my, think of that. Now an executioner in ancient times, quite naturally, would have become insensitive to some of the things he was involved with. I mean, if it was just your job to kill people, I mean, think of the the, the old uh, hangman of the 1800s, 18th century, abroad in England or even here. And it was just your job to carry out penalties because some people think, well, I just think anybody would be affected and touched by seeing someone's head or seeing a dead body. Maybe in the beginning, maybe in the beginning, uh, a mortician. Uh, may struggle the first or second time when they're handling the dead, but after they've dealt with three or four hundred bodies, it's another body. 
You learn how to adapt. The, the person who works in the hospital has, you know, the, the first time they lose a patient, I've heard of nurses weeping and crying and falling apart and getting close to the family. It's hard to go on. But 40 years after being a nurse, when you've seen a few thousand people die, it's just not the same, you see. And just like with pastors, pastors preach and love and marry the living, bury the dead. And, and you can get close to people and it can affect you. But still, in doing a funeral, you're doing a funeral. It's a body. And somebody who's an executioner, imagine having that job when it's just your role to go down and take somebody's life and then bring a body part or something to come walking up the stairs of the prison Give it to a daughter, and then the daughter turns around and runs and gives it to mom. Herod was unhappy, but I guarantee you Herodias was absolutely tickled that she had that head. You say, what did she do with it? Have no idea on this earth, but I guarantee you she was happy. She probably walked past it as many times as she could just to, just to remind John the Baptist, I'm still alive and you're dead. Now, there used to be an ancient, ancient orator and lawyer by the name of Cicero. And when Cicero died, there's a, a person named Fulvius who took a knife, because they took his head off, and, and just started puncturing his tongue because she was so angry with the many things that he would say, with the speeches that he would make. I mean, people, when they're bitter... They'll attack you even after you're dead. When Mr. Mussolini died, they say when the people got a hold to his body, they had him out there in the streets and they were kicking him and punching him. And if you've ever seen pictures of Mussolini's uh, corpse after he died, you look at his head. It is so swelled up with water and everything. It didn't even look like the man when he was alive. So mutilated. You can live a life that so torments people that people feel like they want to inflict pain on you even after you have died. That's what happened. So here we, here we have um, this man, John the Baptist, and we see how he died. In verse 29, when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in the tomb. So they wanted to at least give the man an honorable burial, and it's very likely uh, that they just took John the Baptist's body and just left it out there in some deserted area, and uh, the disciples had to come get it. So we 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 want to look after our own and honor them in the right way. And this is why so many people want the remains of their family members, even if it's been fifty-five years and they disappeared in Vietnam. They want to take the remains and be able to settle them. Uh, right there. Okay. Now, Jesus had, had later told us that this man, John the Baptist, came in the spirit of Elijah. So there are one or two similarities between John the Baptist and Elijah. Uh, both of them came on the scene when the nation was at a spiritual low point. They both came on the scene when you had wicked people in power. I mean, we complain about the leadership that we have now, but imagine having Ahab and Jezebel for 30 years or better. See? Yeah, pretty, pretty bad. And Elijah comes on the scene, and he's declaring that it's not going to rain, and then what happens? Here comes a drought. What happens in the drought? People are dying. Cattle are, are, are dying. There's a loss of revenue and income. And so the kings, uh, 
The king's coffers are not as plentifully stuffed as they should be. So that means there's not a whole lot of money. And what does Jezebel do? Jezebel gets angry and she blames Elijah. She blames Elijah. And she was the kind of lady that was like Herodias. She kind of knew how to manipulate Ahab. That time where uh, they wanted that vineyard that belonged to Naboth. And Ahab said to Naboth, can I have it? Naboth said, oh, no. Oh, no, I can't give up the inheritance of somebody in my tribe. It has to stay in the tribe. Well, Ahab didn't care anything about that. He said, I'll give you a plot of land that's better than what you have. Now, if I'm Naboth, I'm thinking, if your plot of land is better than mine, why do you want mine? See? But he wanted it because it was near to the castle. And so Ahab, he went upstairs, crawled in the bed. First, she pulled all the blinds. And he got it in the fetal position, pulled a cover over his head, decided he wasn't going to eat and sat there with his thumb in his mouth. And so Jezebel comes in and she says, now, uh, Ahab, Ahab, where are you? And, and, and this muffled sound comes out from under one of them blankets. And, and sure enough, she walks in and she wants to know what in the world is going on with you. You know, open up these curtains or something in here. And he said, well, I wanted Naboth's land. And he told me, no. She said, no, aren't you the king? Who tells the king no? She said, I'll handle this. So she sat down, wrote letters in that man's name and said, I want you to get Naboth and his kids, have a big feast for him. And then I want you to find the vilest, foulest, meanest, deceitful people you can think of and have them tell one despicable lie after another. And then afterwards, take all three of them out and stone them to death. That's exactly what happened. So this this Jezebel lady got so angry at uh, Elijah that she even said, after her prophets of Baal had been defeated, she said, God do so and more to me if I don't kill you by the time this sun sets. You remember Elijah took off. So so here's my point in, in, in all of this. People who are going to walk with God have got to be willing for confrontation. And you've got to be willing for hostility that's going to come from people that do not believe in God. Because presently, we are in a, in a place where the only true voice for God on planet Earth right now is his true church. That's it. You, you're not going to find it in a political party. You're not going to find it in, in some kind of a uh, service organization. But only in the church of Jesus Christ will you find people who will still be able to say that is unlawful, that is ungodly, that is unscriptural. But if we open up our mouths and say that, and we take the time to teach that to young people and to older people, then we've got to be ready for everything that comes afterwards. See, this is what it means to stand to stand for truth. If John the Baptist would have never uttered the words that are recorded in verse 18, he would not have ended up in prison. And he would not have been in a quarrel with this lady Herodias. She would have never been bitter towards him and he would have never lost his life. But here we are now. Here we are now. 21st century. We love God with our whole heart. And we've been watching as little by little political figures and powerful people have been pointing out folks in the church and not liking what they're saying. It's only been a few short years that down in Houston, 
when they had that lesbian mayor that you had four preachers that spoke out against something that the mayor and the city attorney were trying to do because they were trying to change all the bathroom situations and saying anybody can go in whatever they want, whether somebody was in there or not. And they were trying to legalize uh, these things to the degree that if you were a pastor, you were not allowed to speak out publicly in your church against same-sex marriage. So that became a law, and literally there were four pastors that ended up being indicted, and they were required to submit their sermons to the leadership of the Houston city before they preached it. Now, you know that didn't go over well. And and can you imagine somebody saying to me, you're going to turn in your message before you preach it on Sunday? It just is never, ever going to happen. But if if that happened there in a major city and then we consider things that are taking place in Canada where you can't even read the book of Leviticus on television. Or if you preach against something in the sanctuary that you got to edit it out for television. But I know for a fact in Canada, you can't even preach it to your people, because if you preach it to your people, they consider it a form of abuse to teach a boy and a girl that a boy has to be with a girl. And a girl has to be with a boy. See? So the church is targeted. So how are we going to live? How are we going to stand? What will we believe? If, if it comes down to it, are you willing to be like John the Baptist? Are you willing to have a spirit of Elijah in the last days before the coming of the Lord? Are you willing to lose a job? See? Are, are you willing to, to deal with a fine? Are you willing to lose relationships? That's what happens. And when we take Christ as our Savior, we don't step into a bed of roses, folks. There's some thorns on this thing. And then a lot of people get hurt in trying to walk with God. But I, I do believe this, having said all those other things, that many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. See, I would never want to leave you with the idea that because John the Baptist lost his life or because James lost his life in Acts chapter 12, that God is no longer in the deliverance business. As many stories as I've mentioned that are on the negative side tonight, I can tell you some glorious stories of how God's gone out of his way to do wonderful wonders for people that have stood for truth. And this is what we have to do. We have a firm foundation and we have to do everything we can to make sure that the word of the Lord is perpetuated. The scripture says, let God be true. Every man a liar. So when you're talking with family, I don't think it's God's plan for you to always be the one that has to wear a muzzle in order to be a peacemaker. Sometimes uh, folks think that to be a peacemaker means you have to be a rug and let everybody walk over you. I don't think it means that at all. You know, one of the ways you can make peace sometimes is by preaching the gospel of peace. Okay. The Bible says in Romans that he is the God of peace. And, and by telling the story of the gospel and by sharing what the scripture says, even if it's going to offend someone with that Herodias-like spirit, you still in the end are able to produce peace because maybe the convicting power of the Holy Ghost will come upon them. But if you just be quiet, then we'll have what we have today and it'll get worse and worse. 
what can we do in this nation that we live in now where we have such uh, gross perversion and sad things? Well, number one, we can pray. The Bible says pray for those in a position of authority. And when you pray, believe that God really can and does answer prayer. We can pray and ask God to thwart the plans of the devil. I don't care how he does it. Doesn't make me one bit of a difference. He can turn people against one another and their political party. Anything he can do to forestall the iniquity that's trying to overtake this nation. I'm praying. I'm saying, Lord, let it happen, please. And what else can we do? Well, we can make sure that in our families, we teach the truth. Lovingly, but strongly. But strongly. Uh, when, when, when I was a... Uh, a kid, you know, we, we weren't we weren't Christian, but you know, my, my brothers didn't make any bones about making sure that I knew that we weren't gonna have any sissies in the house. You know, you gonna you're gonna be a man, you're gonna be a boy. And you know, people people today don't like a lot of strength, they don't like a lot of aggression and things like that, but my brothers didn't handle that kind of a thing uh, pretty well. And so with my little sister, if it, if it ever looked like uh, Mr. Darrell was holding them dolls a little bit too long, them dolls disappeared. And, and, and they just kind of took me out there in the room and kind of had a little talk with me and let me know, you're, you're a guy, you can play with a little sis, but make sure you know that those dolls aren't for you. There are some that are for you. And and when it came to uh, my my little sister, you know, my brothers had been in the military. They didn't let her they didn't let her walk around the house wearing all of their Army and Marine Corps combat boots. They they, they helped her know that she's a dress up her little princesses and, and, and all of that kind of a thing. But in a world today where we don't want there to be any kind of differentiation between the genders and the sexes, it's a problem. So in our own state, when those people up there in Lincoln vote and pass a law that says any kind of conversion therapy now is against the law and that you should not try to tell a young man that he's a young man if he believes he's a gal, then I I think it just seems to me like there are a lot of folks that have a spirit of confusion mingled in their hearts, you see, mingled in their hearts. Folks, the spirit of Christ has to reign. The voice of John the Baptist has to continue. God help us to be those kinds of people in these last days. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. So, Father, we are grateful this evening that as we looked into your scripture, we could see how a righteous man died. We know he lived a life that was holy. We know that he lived a life that was pleasing to you. And he was faithful unto death. And Father, it's our prayer that in the times in which we're living, we would continue to trust you and believe you and not be discouraged by what we see. Father, don't let the prison walls scare anybody, but I pray that we would see you're greater than all walls, that you're the mighty God with a great and mighty arm that can reach us in any pit, in any valley, in any particular situation. I pray for your true church in the earth, Lord. Let it grow. Let it expand. Make its voice bigger and give it a greater opportunity of influence for for touching and changing the lives of people. And God, where your name is misrepresented, 
and where people will not honor you as you should be honored, even though they claim to be yours. Father, just just set them aside, oh God, so that they will not misrepresent your son's name. These things we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen.